you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am your host, Brett Coleman. My wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder, is here. And we are almost done with our summer-long draft recap series. Uh, I know the draft was a while back, and it seems like it's been 15 years since we heard all these names called, just considering everything that's happened since then. But uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of football to talk about since then. So uh, I guess it's okay that we stretch this series out as long as possible. But like I said, we only got two divisions left. We're doing the AFC West this time, and just a a lot of powerhouse classes packed into this foursome with KC, Denver, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Uh, And and so before we dive into this, we'll start off with KC. Um, EJ, I got to know, what are you drinking tonight? Because you've been getting real fancy with me with the, uh, the local brews there up in the Pacific Northwest. What do you got with you tonight, and what do you think of these draft classes? Well, first off, summer has finally arrived in the Pacific Northwest. We wait with bated breath for, oh, about eight months for that to happen. So the sun has finally cracked out. We've got blue skies. And in honor of that, I'm going back to the Diver Down. We talked about this one before. It is a Pacifico. In my case, some folks use a Corona. Basically, any light Mexican lager you want, and you top it off with a little shot of Bacardi Limon. Give it a little bit of a mix, and uh, it just goes down very smooth. So, fine summer drink, and in honor of the finally summer weather up here, um, that's what I'm going with. In terms of the draft classes, yeah, we did save some of the best for last. AFC West, going to be an incredibly fun ride. Going to be hard to keep this one short. Lots of great players packed in here. Lots of great scheme fits. Um, Some really good paths to playing time. Uh, some teams that really needed some players in certain areas got them. So lots to talk about. We should kick it off. Yeah. And uh, I do want to start here, uh, with Kansas city, by the way, I'm drinking my, my tried and true Lagavulin 16. I've had that a bunch of times on the show, my favorite scotch. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to just kind of keep it simple this week. Love Lagavulin 16. Can't recommend it enough. You mean nobody sent you some random bottle of very cool booze this week? Uh, I know. I know. Life's hard. I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't got a, a random package at 11.30 at night this week containing alcohol. It's It's been a rough one for me. So I, I was, quote-unquote, forced to drink Lagavulin 16. But it's okay, because if there was one bottle I'd want to have with me on a desert island, that would be it. So I'm okay with that. Oh, I did have something that I think you've had. 
Um, but in one of my first uh, ventures out sort of breaking quarantine, a friend of mine had been um, kind of hammering on me to come over and try some hibiki. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And yeah, it was very, for whiskey, Japanese whiskey, for those of you not familiar with hibiki, that is very much on the peaty scale. Um, yeah. Um, it, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, Japanese whiskey stylistically is very similar to scotch um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that was how they learned how to make it. You know, there was uh, the master distillery, master distiller at, I believe it was Suntory or what became Suntory, um, you know, brought a, uh, a copper pot or no, was it a coffee still? I think it was a coffee still. Might have been a copper pot still. He brought something. Uh, one of those two stills. Oh, no, because copper pot still is more Irish style. So I think it was a coffee still. Uh, brought that over from Scotland. You know, he learned how to make whiskey in Scotland. So stylistically, uh, Japan has always been very similar to Scotch. Uh, some noticeable differences, but, uh, you know, the, the peatedness, you know, the kind of smokiness to it, uh, that's where they get it from. Is That's how they learned how to make it. It was from the Scots. Yeah, if you if you don't know that, you will know that on the first sip. Um, it was <laughs> it was good stuff. Uh, it is not as peaty uh, as something like Laphroaig or or one of the more peaty scotches, but uh, really interesting variation. Um, glad I got to try some of it. But I thought of you because I thought, oh, this is right up Brett's alley. Yeah, Ibiki's good stuff. Uh, I have a, a bottle of. I, I haven't had it on the show. Maybe I should. Uh, the uh, Nika um, coffee whiskey, which again, it's named after the coffee still. It's not like coffee flavored or anything like that, but very, uh, very similar to scotch in terms of um, aggressiveness, I'll say. <laughs> it's uh, it's <laughs> not really a beginner whiskey. Uh, if, no, if no, thing. not something that you're going to give to somebody who you're like, here, try this. You might like it. If they don't like it already, they're probably not going to. It's more in the acquired yeah, taste Yeah, it'll blow their face off, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> speaking of, of blowing faces off, uh, this Kansas City offense, good Lord. Uh, I mean, they were already amazing, but kind of going through... Uh, just looking at, at at their draft, not only did they add Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, one of our favorite players, period, in this whole class in the first round, but then you're picking up offensive line depth and, and Lucas Niang in round three. Um, like I, I, they they added a supremely talented weapon. They added offensive line depth, which I felt was one of really their only problems. You know, if one of their starters went down, I felt like they didn't have anybody uh, they could fill in, and now they do. Um, you know, you're getting Willie Gay in round two, LeJarius Sneed in round four, Mike Dana. Um, Thakarius Keys is not somebody I watched, but even just the top four players they took, I mean, they nailed it, both on offense and defense. And honestly, with a class like that, I still think they're favorite to win the Super Bowl. It's it's hard to bet against them, and I know uh, we did the draft live stream. The only guest we had on the draft live stream was a friend of ours, Craig Stout from Arrowhead Pride, who's a defensive analyst uh, specializing in watching the Chiefs. Um, we had him on after the Clyde edwards Elair pick, and he was all for it. Uh, he was saying that some of their message boards were lighting up about the value of a running back in the first round. And people say that running backs are not worth high-round picks. They are when they're difference makers, just for mm-hmm. the control, five to six years, the contribution. What's not worth it is paying those guys after that. 
you draft one of those guys, you play him, you get everything you can out of him under that contract control, all the production you can wring out of him, and then you let him go. You don't pay him a second contract. That's not worth it about highly picked running backs. But picking them high is no problem if they're difference makers. And Edward G. Lair is just the definition of a difference maker in this offense. He is going to destroy We talked about this right after he got drafted. The odds that he leads the Chiefs in yards from scrimmage this year are pretty damn good. Uh, He's just got a perfect match of skills with the offensive system, the creativity of the coaching staff. We called this one. Actually, this has some historical value for us because on the weekend that we hatched bootleg in its infancy and said, hey, we're going to do this, we were talking about Hey, what's a what's a random player going to a random team that would just <laughs> kill you? And we talked about a couple. We said, "Oh, this guy to here," or "Oh, this guy on that defensive line," or whatever. And then we went Clyde Edwards-Helaire to Kansas City, and we both kind of cupped our hands over our mouths and went, "Nope, don't say it." <laughs> right? It'll happen. And we just got quiet about it because we didn't want to jinx it. And the universe smiled, at least on me, maybe not at you as an AFC fan, but football fans everywhere, buckle up. This one's going to be really, really, really good. Uh, The guy we call CEH is just perfection in Kansas City, and he is going to tear the lid off. That offense is, I'm just going to say, nigh impossible to defend well. If If they're healthy and hitting on all cylinders, you literally can't stop them. The only problems that offense had, and there were not many, were depth and uh, a consistent running game with a three down back that could impact the offense in multiple ways. You know, when Kareem Hunt was in town, they had that and they were even more dominant, in my opinion. Um, And now they got that back. And honestly, as good as Kareem Hunt is, I think Clyde Edwards Alaire is going to be better. You know, even looking at a guy like uh, there was a, a a note after they drafted him that um, you know the the tape was sent to Andy Reid for an evaluation. They're like, "Look, Andy, this guy kind of reminds us of Brian Westbrook when you had him in Philly." And Andy just wrote back, "He's better." Like he's <laughs> yeah. This is and the I thing that kills me. I don't me. disagree. Yeah, I don't either. And you know, obviously, Andy Reid knows a whole lot more about football than we do. But I. What killed me after the draft was all the Kansas City fans who pine for Kareem Hunt. Craig Stout, again, um, our guest on the live stream, said that they get, like, still, at this point, multiple inquiries a week to their podcast about Kareem Hunt. Is he coming back? Could we get him? Like, Kansas City has this deep, deep love for Kareem Hunt, and rightfully so. He was very productive in their offense. But you get to somebody and you say, so do you love Kareem Hunt? And they're like, oh, hell yeah. And you're like, what do you think of the Edwards Elaire pick? And they're like, I hated it. It was running back in the first round. And you're like, <laughs> wait, Edwards Elaire is probably better on an all around basis than Hunt. I mean, we're going to see, but he's shown every possibility that that's true. And that's the kind of thinking I don't understand. Somebody that absolutely is flat out in love with Kareem Hunt and hates the Edwards Elaire pick. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I just don't get that one. Yeah, if you thought they were tough to stop on third down before, Jesus. It's... Yeah, it's over. Yeah. yeah, that's one of Clyde edwards Elaire's great strengths is he can just will first downs on third downs. He did it at LSU over and over and over again to the point where you kind of got numb watching it. You just expected it, and you were actually more shocked if he didn't get it. <laughs> and um, that is something he's going to bring to the KC offense. This, in my mind, is just... 
perfection. This is a great, great player fit, pick, value, everything. Nicely done by Brett Veach and Andy Reid. Their second round pick, I I mean, I, I'm going to like very few picks as much as I like Clyde to, in the first round. But their second round pick came pretty close. You know, Willie Gay Jr., who is ultra-athletic, great size, uh, he's, he didn't, unfortunately didn't get to play as much due to some off the field stuff, which honestly really wasn't that big of a deal, especially, uh, in the, in the context of being a professional athlete. Like it's, I think it was like academic stuff. Like it's, it's not like if I'm a general manager, I don't really care that much personally, you know, like there wasn't like a character issue. It was just some academic stuff. Um, and so I, I, I think when you look at his skill set of size, speed, length, instincts, you know, if he was allowed to play in every game, uh, he probably could have worked his way to the first round. So getting him in the second round, again, just for somebody who's that talented and on a defense where your best linebackers, and I use the term best loosely, are Damian Wilson and Anthony Hitchens. Honestly, he's probably already better than both of them. I could see him starting day one uh, just because of his natural talent and the fact that he's way rangier than either of those guys. Yeah, I think they'll work him into it. Willie Gay, I think, in the second round for me was right about where he should have gone. He has flashes. This is the thing about Willie Gay. He can be an explosive player for short stretches, and and the three-play stretch against Tua and Bama in 2018 is the one I'll point to. Within three plays, uh, two different drives, but three consecutive plays for the defense, he ended up with two sacks of Tua and a pick. And all three of those plays were really explosive. Now, he doesn't do that consistently, but he can do that at any time. If he rounds out those rougher edges, I think he can be a starter in short order. I don't know if he starts day one. But again, Casey's solid, not spectacular at linebacker. So his path to playing time is he can add some pop and flash right away. And if he starts to round out and make those plays on a more consistent basis, because he can make them at any time, um, he'll be very good. If he doesn't, he'll have flashes, but he's never really going to be a true difference maker. He talked about his speed. He's really good in the short area with his explosion. Good ball vision. Um, even when he's on a block, keeps the keeps the ball in view, which a lot of linebackers in college struggle with. He's good on the blitz. He's not a straight rusher. This isn't a guy you're going to put either in the middle or on the edge and say, go right off the snap, but he is good on the blitz. And there's a subtle difference there, but it's important. Hits really hard. He's an impact guy. Um, if you're talking about holes in his game, not great in zone. He's decent in short, man. Um, if he does get on larger linebacker or larger offensive lineman, if he gets engaged on a block, he can get swallowed. He doesn't always keep a hand free. Um, and he, while he's really short in the, while he's really fast in the short area, he doesn't really have true edge to edge speed. He's just a step shy, which means guys can kind of get around him. He's probably going to push him out of bounds, but they're going to get an extra two or three yards. But again, he's faster than what they have on the field right now, so he's going to look great range wise. Um, and again, in the short area, that the ability to blitz, um, the ability to you know short bursts on a tight end to cut in front and make an interception, which he can do and has done. Um, yeah, Gay's got a lot of pop in his game and he's going to bring some excitement to a linebacking core that, as you mentioned, isn't all that exciting. You kind of mentioned it and it it just kind of popped in my head. Uh, his ranginess is very similar to Zach Cunningham in the sense, if it's numbers to numbers, he's got it. 
Oh, if yeah. it's sideline to sideline, it's a little shaky. And a lot of Zach Cunningham's missed tackles are really outside the numbers because he doesn't quite have that third gear to get there. It really kind of relies on length when making tackles in that kind of range. Whereas if it's numbers, numbers, like he's really, really quick. Um, and he's a great tackler there. And, and I, I think Willie Gay is the same kind of thing. Like if you've got a really good uh, like force safety that can keep everything inside the numbers, he's going to clean it up. Which they have huh. to have. I was going to say, <laughs> who would that Matthew. be? I don't know yeah. if they have that. Yeah. <laughs> so he f- he fits perfectly with Tyron because nothing gets outside of Tyron anyway. So I, I I feel very comfortable with that fit. Yeah, the scheme fit is really nice as well. So nice player, nice skills. But again, this is uh, a decision maker duo between Andy Reid and Brett Veach that are looking at this and going, well, he can't quite get to the very edge of the stripe. But we got a guy. <laughs> we can yeah. do that. He needs to take this cone that is just slightly outside the numbers on either side. Oh, well, he does that really well. Well, perfect. Let's get him. Right? So uh, another fine choice for what they have on the roster. It balances their stable in that particular position. And the overall skill set at the levels of the defense, they overlap, right, in a, in a good way. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this Lucas Niang pick in the third round, and I, I didn't even know this until we were kind of doing pre-show research. Um, and, you know, obviously you look at the measurables, measurables of Lucas Niang, 6'7", 330, uh, 34 and a quarter inch arms, and just mammoth human being. You look at the tape and you're like, okay, he's not really giving up anything. Like, it's not the cleanest technique, but, uh, like when he's on you, he's on you, <laughs> you know, and, and yep. he's one of those guys where when he latches, it's over. Um, but then you look at statistically, and this is what's kind of mind-blowing. In three years as a starter before he went down with a hip labor, and again, the hip labor injury is why he went in the third round in the first place. He would have gone way higher than that. Um, but because of corona, you can't do follow-up medical checks. We've talked about this before on the show. Like Anybody who had a lingering issue really got hurt. Lucas Niang was one of them. Um, but in his three years, when he took over as a starter at TCU, no sacks allowed. Two holding calls in three seasons, no false starts. That is remarkable consistency that, honestly, I don't think any of the other tackles in this class that started for that same time period, you know, the Jedrick Willses, the Mackay Beckton's, uh, the Tristan Wirfs, I-, I don't think any of them can say that. That is remarkable consistency. Yeah, he had 28 games as a starter at, at TCU, and didn't allow a sack in those, but it goes deeper than that. He appeared in 44 games, uh, either as a starter or as a backup at TCU. He never allowed a sack. Now, that's ridiculous because he did play as a freshman in a majority of the games and uh, you know earned uh, starter reps as a sophomore. But to never have a miscommunication, anybody that's been around an offensive line, played offensive line, uh, is familiar with the complexity of five guys trying to do the same thing on every play or a unified thing on every play. There's occasionally like, a, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Ah, okay, the quarterback's, you know, quarterback's dirty at this point. Damn. Um, that never happened for him. So great athlete, has as much physical upside as all, but the very top tackles in this class, and I mean like the top four after that, it's Niang is really fifth pretty easily. Um, comes from a very athletic family. His mom was a pro tennis player. Um, you know, this is a guy that has great size, great athleticism, obviously some very sort of stringent mental processing to not give up 
a sack in 44 games and very few penalties, just few mistakes overall. And again, poorly timed hip injury that, uh, you know, there's never a great time for an injury, but it kept him out the last five games of the year plus the bowl game. And again, with Corona and no medical rechecks, teams just had to say, I don't know how healthy he is. If Look, if this guy's healthy, absolutely a steal and guaranteed starter potential in the NFL. He is better than starting tackles in the NFL right now. Looking at you, Bobby Hart. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was... That was well aimed. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I have a little bit of a grudge there. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if he's starting in Cincy, but if he does and he gets my boy Joe Burrow hurt, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have words. We're uh, gonna have words. Yeah, I would love to see your words with Bobby Hart, like face to face. Oh, be awesome. it'll be on the keyboard. Yeah. I'm not doing face to face. Guarantee it. <laughs> Video or it didn't happen. All right. So moving on from Niang. Niang, great value. Um, again, hope he's healthy because if he is, Casey has an absolute gem there and a guy that can start for a long time. Legereus Sneed uh, is a guy that stood out to me at the combine for his movement skills. He's really smooth for a big dude in the secondary. Has that versatility between cornerback and safety. That's a versatile piece to grab in the fourth round that you can really plug in as that DB role. He can work on special teams until he works his way into the regular rotation. He's got great size. Again, moves really well. And he's got this trio of Taron Matthews, who's got obviously versatility and smarts galore. Um, Sorensen, who is an unheralded guy that worked his way into solid playing time. And Rashad Breeland, who's roughly the same size profile and really knows his cornerback skills. That's a heck of a trio for a guy like Legereus need to come in and just sit and learn from. And you might say, well, you know, two of those are safeties and one's a corner. Yeah, well, he is that guy. He's a DB with experience at both. It isn't really locked down. I think Kansas City will probably try him at corner uh, because corner just has a little bit greater value than safety. But they're going to be plenty happy with this guy in any nickel or dime alignment coming in and, you know, learning the role, eventually working his way into you know, solid playing time and what is a very talented secondary. Uh, it's just a good landing spot for him. And I think he's one of those guys that was sort of, you know, didn't go to the biggest school and kind of snuck in there under the radar. Uh, but again, reaching out to Craig Stout um, after he was picked, he was very pleased as a defensive analyst. He said, oh, yeah, this is a guy that fits the system, fits the role, has the skills. I, I like it as a pick. And if he likes it, again, Craig knows a lot more about the, the Kansas City defense than we do. Um, so that's, that's just a really nice pick for them. Yeah. I think you can try him at corner. You can try him at safety in camp and just see what sticks. Uh, cause at the end of the day, when you run four, three, you got a 41 inch vert, you got hips like his, like athletically, he can kind of do whatever. I, again, I don't really think he's strong enough to be like a true boundary corner. Um, not that he's like small, but I, I don't necessarily think he's as strong as like Traverius Ward, who is just feisty as all hell. But I do think he can survive inside. I do think he can survive at safety. And what his addition to me meant was we're going to free up Matthew. You know, we got a guy who can play nickel for him. We got a guy who can play safety. And Tyron is uh, honestly maybe the best nickel in the league. Uh, but he's also one of the best free safeties in the league. And one of the best strong safeties in the league. You got Juan Thornhill, who's kind of a do-it-all guy himself. Not quite as good as Tyron, especially down low. Um, but I think adding Snead, you just kind of shotgun it during camp. You see where his best place is. 
and so that you know you can bring him in and then have him perform that role so that Tyron has a little bit more freedom to, to do whatever. Um, because again, you can play Matthew anywhere. I, I think he'll probably end up in the slot is my best guess, which then allows Thornhill and Matthew to then kind of play around deep a little bit more and kind of, you know, bait quarterbacks a little bit more with rotations showing too deep, rolling down to one high or vice versa. While you have Sneed locking down the slot, you got Ward outside, you got Breland outside. Um, My best guess is it'll end up something like that, but also I wouldn't be surprised is if in nickel you put Sneed in the deep half and you have Tyron down in the slot because he's just damn good at it. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if they do that either way, but um, just having that flexibility I think is key, and so I'm a big fan of the pick just because of that. Um, I I will say I did not watch Mike Dana or Thakarius Keys. Did you happen to catch either one of them? Uh, I did a little work on Dana, but only after Craig Stout, who, again, we've mentioned several times, um, got uh, in the lull period after the draft. uh, And I loved this approach. Uh, Craig's one of my favorites, you can tell. But uh, he actually sought out Mike Dana, who, again, a late round pick for the Chiefs and said, hey, do you have some time? (laughs) Right. We're in the middle of the early part of the or the early part of the Corona lockdown. Like, I want to talk to you about what you did. Uh, in college and how you think you're going to fit in KC and did a sort of in-depth piece on Mike Dana uh, on Arrowhead Pride, which is the SB Nation site covering uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. You should check out his post-draft work on Dana. It's it's very detailed, probably more detailed than you'll care about unless you're a, a, a heavy Chiefs fan. Um, but it's good stuff and Craig does great work. So I'll, I'll just push that content because it's more worthwhile than what I'm going to say about Mike Dana. Um, he's a rotational guy with a little more versatility, uh, sort of edge and heavy guy. Um, uh, he's, he's not one of the Bosa brothers, that's for sure. But that's again, <laughs> why he went in the fifth. Um, and you know, again, Craig's excited about his, his fit. And I think we're talking, we've talked about that several times, right? That, Veach and Reed are aligned on the type of players they want and what they want each role to do and how they want those roles to overlap. And I think Dana fits within that profile. And that alone, for me, basically gives the pick the benefit of the doubt, even even though I didn't do work on Dana pre-draft. Um, and uh, the Carious Keys, I did not watch at all. Sorry, pick 237, round seven. You, you, just, can't, you just can't get to them all. So. Plus it's Tulane, and Tulane's pretty hard to find. <laughs> so. Now I watched the Tulane offense because hey, my team picked up a, a Tulane offensive player, um, but I did not watch a lot of the Tulane defense. I don't think I ever watched the Tulane defense actually. Now that I think, yeah, I don't think I did either. I, I don't, even in passing, like watching somebody yeah. else, I don't know if I did. But nope, yeah, I don't uh, think I did. Overall, just really, really great, solid additions to ranging to great additions when we're talking about Edwards Elair. Uh, I, I think they have. At minimum, at some point in the season, we're going to see two of those guys starting, potentially up to four, depending on if somebody gets hurt. Uh, Lucas Niang, I think, is an immediate swing tackle. God forbid Schwartz goes down or Fisher goes down. I think he slides in, assuming he's all the way back from his hip labrum. Uh, Sneed, I think if you technically count Nickel as a starter, I think we could see him in there. So we're maybe looking at up to four guys from this class in a pick of only six picks uh, starting, which would be a a hell of a job by them. But at minimum, we're getting Edwards Alaire in there. We're getting Willie Gay in there and that duo alone. 
I think was uh, just yeah. I'm gonna say that. only if two start and it's those two, and Yang okay. is gets healthy and is, you know, we've talked about this. You don't, you know, good backup tackles in the NFL don't exist because you don't you don't stay a good backup tackle for long. If you're good enough to be a good backup tackle, you you can play, right? There are guys ahead of you in the league that um, you know offer you a spot. So shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can have two and a half, we'll call it two and a half out of this draft with Edward Dealer and Gay uh, playing, you know, a good amount of downs for Casey right away and Niang sort of waiting in the wings for his opportunity. Um, yeah, that's that's very solid. And then whatever you get from Legereus Sneed as a fourth round pick is a bonus. And he's got a lot of athletic potential. I like his ability to contribute down the road. So, yeah, great draft for Casey. Um, a little bit, a little bit top heavy, top three really are the the sort of highlights here. But um, guys like Snead and Dana can come in and be those versatile, you know, down eater role players that are cost controlled, and and teams need those guys. Absolutely. Now, I do want to take a minute and say that today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, a loyal sponsor of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and top quality fabrics in every piece they produce. Whether it's their extremely soft, odor-free antimicrobial underwear, or any of their socks, shirts, hoodies, even their adjustable Storm Chaser rain jacket, which, EJ, I know I know you will be very interested in that, considering where you live in the Great Pacific Northwest. Fine, fine, rub it in. <laughs> you can find anything and everything you need in that Mack Weldon catalog. I myself got a few different things of uh, probably, what, three, three and a half weeks ago when it came in. I got the Ace hoodie, the Ace half zip, the Stratus active shorts because I was looking for something a little bit shorter for when I'm kicking the heavy bag. You know, my basketball shorts really kind of cut and snag a little bit. So I wanted something a little bit more breathable, and, and that is definitely fitting the bill for me so far. I love its performance. Uh, but really the thing that sticks out to me the most is just how comfortable everything is. You are getting what you pay for here. And, and really, the cut on the hoodie and the half zip itself is perfect. The materials are incredibly soft. My wife steals them all the time. She says it's really the most comfortable thing in my closet now. So I don't even get to wear it much anymore because my wife is wearing it so much. But uh, I think that her endorsement probably says a lot more than mine ever could. But uh, I, I absolutely love everything that I got from them. What did you grab, by the way? Uh, I got quite a few things. I got six or eight things, but my two favorite things, speaking of things my wife wanted to steal immediately, um, I got the warm knit waffle Henley and the thing is ridiculously soft. It is a waffle fabric, um, which can be a little bit sort of scratchy or harsh. Not the case. Ridiculously soft and comfortable. The cut is great. The drape is great. And she says, I would steal this, but I know it's for you, so I, I do get to wear it. But now that it's getting warmer, um, the thing I'm wearing the most is the pair of the Airnet uh, X 8-inch boxer briefs. They are the go-to in my underwear drawer. I don't know about you guys, but underwear is kind of hard to find that you really like. The fit on these is great. They're extremely comfortable for everyday wear. Um, the waistband is nice and wide. Again, fabric is very, very soft. You almost don't feel like they breathe very well for being an eight inch pair of boxer briefs. So great. Now that the weather's warming up, I really like them. So Mack Weldon does really value all of its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. So if you want some great deal on great gear, here's how it works. You have to create an account. It's totally free. Level one is just place an order for any amount. Never pay for shipping again. So again, first order, never pay for shipping again. Level two, once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mack Weldon, which 
trust me, once you put them on, won't be a hard thing to do. Not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you also start saving 20% on every order that you make over the next year. So 200 bucks gets you 20% off any order from then on. Level two also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else, um, as well as the free gifts added to future orders. So Mac Weldon just started making masks for coronavirus stuff. Uh, Brett and I got the notification about that before they were on sale to the general public because we've already purchased more than 200 bucks worth of stuff. Yeah, and they look damn nice too. I, I will say that. Like very, like everything from Mac Weldon is just very sleek. So I, I, I'll probably end up getting some masks too just because uh, I need them. I, I go out quite a bit, especially to the store and stuff. So if you want to check out the catalog for yourself, head out to MacWeldon.com. And if you see something you like, whether it's hoodies, underwear, anything, and you want to buy it, use promo code BOOTLEG for 20% off your first order. Again, thank you to Mac Weldon. And uh, let's move on to Denver now because, man, that was a, uh, a doozy of a class. Uh, I mean, just so many picks, but so many good picks. Like, there's really no filler here. And I'm just going to lead off. Uh, with this list of names because uh, it just kind of it gets crazier and crazier as we go. Round one, Jerry Judy. Round two, KJ Hamler. That alone is amazing. Round three, Michael Ojemudia. Round three again, Lloyd Cushenberry. Round three again, a third third rounder, McTelvin Ajim. Round four, Albert O, the tight end out of Missouri, who's a freak of nature. Round five, Justin Stranod. Round six, Natani Moody. Round seven, there's a pair of seventh rounders, Tyree Cleveland and Derek Tuska. I mean, it is banger after banger. To me, like, it, it's not really an exaggeration. I did a video on this uh, on my YouTube channel. Like, this is not just one of the most uh, incredible top of the draft halls in terms of, like, the top three to four picks, but in it's, it, like, the, the day three hall, too, to go with it. Like, this is from top to bottom, an incredible class, one of the best in the whole league, and I I really don't know how they possibly could have improved on this. They did a phenomenal job. To me, this is John Elway's best draft that he's had since he took over as GM there, I don't know how many years ago, uh, and that says a lot because they've had some really good drafts, but I mean, this one just, it, it blows everything out of the water to me. Yeah, what you talked about in terms of not only volume, but impact, uh, you know, basically, they had a good set of receiving options. Uh, we're going to talk about a team in just a bit that didn't start out with a good set of receiving options. Actually, the next two teams in this division were not really strong at wide receiver. That wasn't the Broncos' problem. They already had Cortland Sutton, um, a decent receiving core, and they add Judy and Hamler to what was already a fast receiving core. Uh, that you know is strength on strength to start. Um, We'll talk about Ohemudia. He's a great um, sort of size uh, player profile fit for a guy like Vic Fangio. Lloyd Cushenberry, we've gushed about on this podcast ever since we saw him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, best anchoring center in this draft is going to play for a long time in the middle in Denver. McTelvin Aging was a guy that I came to later in the draft as an end. Um, great, great pop. 
Uh, I think he's a developmental rusher. Again, they're not short of pass rushers in Denver. This is just one more option for Fangio to bring on the rush. Um, Albert O gives them a very dangerous pair of tight ends when you pair him with George Fant from last year. Stranod's an interesting player. Natani Muti is an absolute bulldozer at guard. You put him next to Cushenberry, and you're going to have some huge holes in the middle if they pry open. And then Derek Tuska at the end. Tyree Cleveland we'll talk about a little bit, but Derek Tuska at the end is just one more rusher. It's just another wild card. So when you talk about Elway sort of completely restocking the cupboard all over the place, offense, offensive line, you know, offensive skill position, offensive line, uh, secondary, um, you know, edge rushers, uh, you know, defensive ends, like he just loaded up. And most of these players were guys that I was really excited about. And to get them all in one class, again, start strong and stay strong for that many picks and that many players. Uh, I was not at all surprised when you listed Denver as one of your top three winners of the draft in that episode that you did right after the draft. So, um, you know, I have to agree that they were one of the top three winners. They just crushed it. The speed that they added for Drew Locke on offense is ridiculous. Oh, they already unreal. They already had Sutton and Fant. We talked about that. Fant's very fast for a tight end. Sutton is just an all-around alpha, a number one wide receiver. Um, and Deontay Spencer is also on their roster at four three four. So they had plenty of speed. To that, they add Judy, who is liquid quick and an incredible route runner. There was a video came out last week of him working out running cones and it looks like it's on, you know, two times speed. Like somebody sped it up. It's just ridiculous how fast and how much speed he carries through cuts and Hamler. We did a whole video on him with Jalen Rager before the draft. Um, you know, very, very fast. One of the fastest wide receivers in the draft. And then Albert O in the fourth, look, he has his limitations, his lackings, but he's, very large and in the straight line he's fast so you get fant and albert o at a double tight end setup you get you know sutton because you're not going to take him off the field and you put any of those other guys around him judy and hamler you know deontay spencer it doesn't matter drew Locke is just looking at a embarrassment of riches somebody is going to be open and at that speed probably wide open Oh, and by the way, their backfield is Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And their offensive line, which has arguably a top three offensive line coach uh, of the last, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, and you got Garrett Bowles, who's really their only weak link, but he still played a lot better in the back half of last season. You know, he played his best football most recently which uh, I'll, I'll take that because that means you're developing. So even if he can just be an average left tackle, when you pair that with Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushenberry, uh, and Graham Glasgow as your interior three, whew, whew. Juwan James, who I think is a serviceable right tackle. I mean, not to mention Atani Moody, as you mentioned, just a, a just a brick shit house of a human being as your swing guard. Yeah. No, uh, I, Drew, Drew Locke might have the best... In, in terms of weapons, protection, backfield, um, coaching, Pat Shermer, I think, not a great head coach, but a phenomenal offensive coordinator. This is, is it weird for me to say, other than maybe Kansas City, when you consider Andy Reid and all the weapons, blah, 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 uh, that, that Denver is the best situation for a young quarterback in the league? Because I'm struggling to name anybody else that's better. Yeah, he's not... Uh... 
he's not going to have a ton of excuses if he doesn't succeed. That's for sure. Because yeah. uh, usually young quarterbacks who end up being picked fairly high go into situations that are full of holes because the teams with high picks generally tend to be the teams that didn't finish that well. There's usually a reason for that. It's either protection, lack of weapons, lack of, like you said, offensive coaching, um, any of those three, all of those three sometimes. Here, um, it's turned around pretty darn quickly, and you look at what Locke in, inherits or steps into now in year two, and he wasn't bad in year one, right? He wasn't one of those guys that's down around the bottom of the rankings and we're saying, oh, if things improve, he'll get better. He was mid-pack with what he had. Now, uh, again, the excuses are kind of gone on the offensive side of the ball. They're loading up to go after Kansas City. And we talk about that. You got to beat your division, right? You got to win your division. And if you're going to win their division, look, they've got the team that just won the Super Bowl and loaded up. And we talked about how good they're going to be for a long time on offense. Denver said, oh, yeah, hold my beer and went after all these guys. And we're going to see it's going to these are going to be some fun matchups uh for the foreseeable future um yeah especially with what Vic Fangio brings on defense and trying to be creative to stop Kansas City and then being able to bring this much offensive firepower when they get that when the defense does manage to get Casey off the field one way or another um yeah we're gonna see some track meets this is gonna be (laughs) redonkulous I mean this is just track team plus in terms of speed and and on both sides Kansas City and Denver so we're gonna see some you you mentioned the the key words um stop Kansas City and judging by this draft I think they know they can't I I think they know that they, they know that nobody can and so Vic Fangio he's like look I'm gonna get us three stops I I can get you three stops this game do with yeah. that what you can. And and they're loading up, and they're saying, all right, you get three stops, and we can make sure they only get two. And, and that's yeah, this how you is, beat them. This is touchdowns, not field goals. I mean, yeah. that's what they've done here is, is we're going to go – we're going to go early, we're going to go often, and if we have to get in a shootout, if we're if we're going to get in a 50-burger on both sides, we can put up a 50-burger. And that's uh, – yeah, we're going to see some really interesting ways for this to play out, and it's really going to be about how each defense, which is, uh, got to say, the lesser unit on each team, how they can match up against the opposing team's offense. That's really going to be the – the kicker in these matchups so um we talked about judy he's ridiculous hamler is so much damn fun he is he has some shortcomings but um other than being a little bit smaller he plays big um and he explodes often a lot of guys that have speed there were a lot of guys that had speed in this wide receiver class it was a it was a historic wide receiver class tons of guys with great wheels but you don't see him pop off the page as often as Hamler does. He does it regularly. So playing on a team with this much offensive talent is going to be new to him. He certainly didn't have that experience at Penn State. And he's going to be drawing single coverage to start. And good luck with that. Well, you Um, can't not double Cortland. You can't not double Judy. Well, I mean, you can, but well, you I mean, can. It's here's, your, well here's your you, choice. But... <laughs> and this is the beauty of the one, two for Denver this year. You can not double Judy and choose to try and double Hamler because he's really fast and give him bracket coverage, but then you're not doubling Judy, right? So yeah. you can double Judy, but that means you can't double Hamler too, because again, 
unless you've got somebody you think is going to win the majority of times against Sutton one-on-one, which is not a great bet because Sutton is a very well-rounded wide receiver. Um, you now have three options in just those three guys, not any of the other guys they had on the team, not to mention a guy like George Fant who can absolutely rip a seam open with his speed. Um, you know, you're, you're just going to be stuck. You're just going to have to gamble that the guy you have singled on any given play is not the guy they're going to throw to, right? Um, because all these guys can get open. They have great speed now, so it's just going to speed kills, right? And the reason speed kills is it magnifies mistakes. And if you make a mistake against Denver, it's going to be a long ball. Yeah, and, and really the key to playing against Denver defensively, like let's say I'm, I'm you know, a, a, a defensive coordinator at the AFC West, I can't think of any defense other than maybe the Chargers that have the pure talent to match up man-to-man here, and that's that's a, a hard maybe. <laughs> so really what you want to do is recognize that they are more talented than you, weapons-wise, and don't play against them, play against Drew Locke. you got to play zone. And I'm not, I don't mean like just doing basic spot drops and having people sit down in between zones. I mean playing match zone, rotations all over the damn place. I mean creeper pressures zone blitzes like you got to play against drew lock you can't play against these weapons if you try to man up it's not going to work like as we mentioned because if you're trying to double one guy you're leaving hamler one-on-one you're leaving judy one-on-one and again other than maybe the chargers nobody in this division has the corners that can do that or let alone the safeties so i i don't think the key to stopping denver is playing man i think it's playing zone and just trying to bait drew lock into mistakes because he's still young and hasn't seen everything yet uh but then once he does develop and gets a you know a little gray on his whiskers then you're really screwed because then he will have seen everything so for now just try to take advantage of his youthful exuberance and inexperience uh while you still can because in a couple years assuming this core stays together uh man there's not a whole lot you can do yeah you're gonna get exposed one way or another now flipping to the other side of the ball we talked about how the defenses are gonna hold up and um when when round three came around pick 77 and they grabbed michael ohemudia the the corner from iowa um not a player i was in love with didn't hate him just thought he got uh, he's got a bit to go before he's really solid but i thought oh man that's a perfect matchup for vic fangio He's going to put him in the mm-hmm. Prince of Mukamara role that he used him for in Chicago. And I am here for that. If there is a better spot for Ohemudia in the league, I'd like to hear about it. Um, he's a long corner with good but not great movement skills. Um, he is physical, especially in the short zones. And again, coming forward, keeping things in front of him, breaking back on routes. Um, yeah, decent but not great speed. Again, sounds sounds like somebody we know, right? Prince of Mukamara. Needs to clean up his technique. Mukamara's technique is better uh, because he doesn't have that true recovery speed. And if people get on top of him uh, and his length isn't going to save him, he's going to be in trouble. So he's going to have to clean up his footwork a little bit um, and his turns. So he puts himself in less bad or tough positions. But if if that's the role, if I if I pin that correctly and Fangio puts him in that role and says, okay, this is the technique I'm going to have you learn first, um, I think he could maximize the talent he has there because he has a lot of similarities uh, to Prince of Mukmara. And I, uh, A, yes, you're correct, but he was not the pick 
that I really liked from them in the third round. <laughs> like I thought, I, I thought honestly, I thought there were better corners on the board that I think also could have filled that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, ironically enough, went undrafted because of like an injury thing uh, to Tampa. Parnell Motley, like I, if I was Vic Fangio, like Parnell Motley would have been my guy to fill that role. Not that I hate Ojemudia, I just think that there were other corners I valued higher. But the other defensive player they took in round three, McTelvin Ajim. If I flipped both those picks, seventy-one or seventy-seven and ninety-five, and I put Ajim first. I'm all about that because I I actually thought he should have gone earlier than that. Um, You know, we caught him at the Senior Bowl. He was a late add, but as a pure disruptor, penetrator, you know, undersized shot off, sawed off shotgun uh, of an interior defensive lineman, there's, it's not quite the same, but there's a lot of Grady Jarrett to him. And anytime I see a guy who can be even 80% of Grady Jarrett, it really perks me up because that's, that's a difference maker. You know, having a guy like him who can join in with Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, um, you know, the, the blitzes that they do with Alexander Johnson and Todd Davis, um, you know, there there's so many different guys in that front seven that can bring pressure and throwing a in there just to give one more um, into. Oh, God, I forgot they got Jarrell Casey, too. When did that happen? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god. I was waiting for you. I was actually gonna talk about that murders row when we get to Tuska because I I think Tuska fits a lot of the arguments you're putting up for McTelgen Agent, but when did that happen? Yeah, free agency man, gotta keep up. (laughs) I didn't even see that. Agium's a beast. He's raw, but he can really move and push for a guy his size. He plays hard and heavy in terms of contact. He comes at you. He hits, he battles, he's powerful. Um, needs to work on getting his eyes better uh, and a little more focused while in contact with blockers. He is one of those guys that dips his head a little bit when he hits contact so guys can slip by him without him getting a hand out. Um, but if he does that and develops just one good counter, that's a productive NFL rotational starter right there. And that's a deal late in the third because, again, his physical gifts pop on tape. When he launches, he launches. And when he hits, he's got heavy hands. He can bring it. He's a guy that I really warmed up on late in the process um, and thought he's pretty good. I thought third round was actually about right. There was, you know, if you look at McTelvin Agium, like even two months before the draft, which is pretty close to the draft, you were talking about a guy that was routinely projected as kind of draftable. Usually like sixth, fifth round was where he would show up pretty regularly. Um, And him going in the third is just everybody catching up on his tape late and going, Whoa, there's, there's a lot to work with. That's (laughs) different. Yeah. There's a lot to work with here. We could, you know, we could, there's a lot of things you can teach. You can't teach what he's got. So if we can polish up those edges, um, aging is going to be a beast. Uh, did you have talked... him over Jordan Elliott? Because I did. Um, I uh, I had them very close, and I I personally would have picked AGM in front of Elliott just on style from what I like from defensive players. And I know a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that had Elliott much higher, but he is again. We've talked about this. One of those guys I never really saw it from. He just didn't speak to me on tape i actually went back to tape because so many people said nah you're low on him he's actually really good and i said hey which is what i always do show me the good games tell me what you saw that you liked um tell me what to look for because i'm not seeing it and you know even when they said this game this is what i liked when i went back my eyes didn't 
didn't show me that and and i have to trust my eyes as an evaluator so no i would have taken aj he's probably what i would say is below elliot right now on polish as a player but i like his upside better than what elliot's got so and i could turn out to be completely wrong about that but that's the gamble i would have taken as a as an evaluator or as a drafter so good question um we talked about albert o he's got great size Straight line speed, his red zone and reachability are really his hallmarks. He's not much of a turner uh, or a blocker yet, which is really weird because um, this guy is big, uh, but he doesn't really know how to use that. Um, if that comes on, he becomes very, very valuable. Um, but even right now, this is a guy that you can you know drop in pretty much any package inside the 20-yard line and say, look, we're going to throw one up to you or we want you to you know basically make one cut and beat somebody. Um, and actually compliments Fant fairly well because they can both threaten the seam. So again, defensive coordinators aren't going to be able to look at either one of those guys and say, oh, that's the guy that's going deep. They can both go deep. So that's always, you know, a sort of roll of the dice for a defense that's already going to be worrying about all the other weapons that we've mentioned. So interesting ad, nice get where he was taken. I would say he's not a reach or a steal. I think this is about you know, right about what I would consider good value for him. What'd you think? Yeah, I think they drafted him for the red zone uh, and solely the red zone. Maybe they run uh, a little bit more 12 personnel this year, but like you said, he's not really like a great blocker. So for me, it's Fant's working in between the 20s and then Alberto is everything inside the red zone because really his best route is I'm running a fade. You're throwing it up to me. And even if it's not thrown well, I'm going to win because I'm big and explosive and long and all that kind of stuff. Like he's, it's, it's again, he is not Rob Gronkowski, but he wins on fades like Rob Gronkowski where there's, if you're smaller than him, you're going to lose like just flat out. You're going to lose. Like he's extremely physical at the catch point. Like you're, you're just, you're done. Yeah, the crazy thing in Missouri, too, was how he made people look that tried to defend him on that route. Oh, Because yeah, was... generally, he, he was not a guy that embarrassed people on routes. He bowled some people over, for sure, in between the 20s. But, man, the fade to Albert O is just like, he just reaches up like, yeah, and? And he grabs it and kind of <laughs> looks at the guy, and he's like, yeah, that's what we do. You didn't, you didn't see that on film? Like, it's just so embarrassing. So, uh, yeah, we're going to see a couple of those, I'm sure, because, um, yeah, their quarterback, uh, he's he's a guy that played, um, oh, yeah, at the same school. <laughs> at Missouri, throwing yeah. him the same route for Weird. years. <laughs> Weird. So, yeah, the, uh, the chemistry is going to happen pretty quick there, I'd imagine. The next guy is pretty interesting. Uh, we're starting to get down deep in the draft, and this is, again, where fit really comes into it. Fifth-round pick Justin Strenad from um, Wake Forest. Listed as a linebacker, but he's kind of one of those puffed-up safeties. Um, you know, light, somewhat fast. I, I I had it written down that Strenad's brain makes him quick. He's a very smart player with good instincts and in football intelligence, Um Everybody that talks about him talks about his leadership, his intangibles. He's a team captain. Um, he's athletically limited. And when I say that, um, he's mid four sevens, low athletic explosion scores, coming off an injury. Um, he's not a guy that, you know, absolutely explodes on tape, but yet he still gets there. And that's the brain, right? That's the half step quicker that he leaves than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows where he's going. So he has a limited number of steps to get there. 
all that stuff adds up with him. He is a snap contact player. There's no fear. He doesn't back off. He's one of those guys that hits through people. I felt like they could have waited a bit for him because of that athletic limitation and he was coming off an injury. I don't think the demand uh, was really probably very high for him. He's special teams for now, but if he gets healthy, um, he needs to... uh, he needs to, it's funny, I just said he likes to hit, but he wraps right more. He wraps and drags more than he hits. Um, if he combines that, because I love guys that wrap up, let's face it, that's the way to get guys to the ground. But um, uh, he, he needs to combine those those two things. And if he gets better about block recognition, because again, he's a small guy. He's not a guy that's going to win when he gets fully engaged with an offensive lineman. Um, he could find himself starting down the road. He's one of those guys that, again, uh, mid to late rounds, you know, works his way through special teams, uh, plays backup due to an injury, comes in, has some decent games, and they go, hey, we can count on this guy. He's going to be in the right place. He makes the right calls. He makes the right checks. Um, generally gets guys to the ground. Uh, you know, we talked about the KC linebackers. That's how they got into the lineup too. So um, it does happen around the league and he could get there. I'd say right now he's going to be just a sort of real high character special teamer. Um, but he's a guy that could, could come in in that linebacking core and find himself some snaps eventually. And he's not going to cover Edwards Hilaire. He's no. not going to cover Josh Jacobs. If no. he is covering them, you got problems. Yeah. You're going to see but some big plays there. So if yeah, it's first it's... and 10 and he's tackling them inside the, the numbers, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's he'll be the there. only time. He'll that's be the there. only time. Um, let's see who else do they get. Uh, Matani oh, Moti. Yeah, we mentioned him earlier. Man, he. This pick felt like a direct request from Mike Munchak. It really did. <laughs> yeah, I think this sure. was. I think this was him going into John's office and saying, "I need an ass kicker. You mm-hmm. know, I need somebody. I need somebody who can dig out Derek Nottie one on one." on third and short which is not easy to do you know i i, no, I need very somebody few guys who, can do it yeah i need somebody who can enforce his will against chris jones and take him somewhere he doesn't want to go you know and we'll figure out the rest but just give me a guy who can do that right now and and we'll work with it because again mike munchak is one of the best offensive line coaches in the last 20 years you know it's him dante scarnecchia and that's kind of really the top two to me like if we're if we're being realistic, like they're the two best, and now Skarnacki is retired. So honestly, you could say Mike Munchak is the best offensive line coach in the league. So if there's one guy uh, that I think could develop um, Tati Moody into a really, really, really good guard, if he ever got on the field, it's him. Uh, now he won't get on the field because their interior three is already so damn strong. But if he's healthy and one of those interior three goes down, they'll be fine. Like, they really will. They will be totally fine. So, again, building this depth through the draft, quality depth, cheap depth, while your quarterback is also dirt cheap. Uh, This is how you build a contending roster in a Super Bowl window. And, yes, they are in a Super Bowl window because as I look at it right now, especially on offense, with their offensive line depth, with their depth of weapons, with Drew Locke developing, with their backfield, with their defense adding guys like Ajim and Jarrell Casey, who I didn't even realize was on there until today. You know, you're getting gems <laughs> That's gonna like That's going to kill Alex. you, isn't it? Oh, God. Well, I mean, he's out of the division, so I'll take it. But, um, you know, Chubb and Miller and Alexander Johnson and, you know, Bouye and Kareem Jackson is an excellent safety, who I still can't believe Houston let go, but that's a 
that's a whiskey for another day. Uh, you know, Bryce Callahan, Callahan, who you're familiar with, he was one of the better nickels in the league when he was under Vic in Chicago. He's now going into his second season there. Like, man, I think you could roster. really call it his first season because he didn't play at all. Which That's is true. why Chicago let him go. He's one of the best nickels on the field. All love to Bryce Callahan when he's on the field, but being on the field has been a problem for him. But uh, no, in terms of the defense, uh, they got a lot of guys, and offense, we've already talked about a lot of guys. Uh, we'll blow through Tyree Cleveland. Um, I watched him. Um, I thought he was at the Senior Bowl, wasn't he? Both him yeah, and Van. Oh wait, was yeah. he? I both of, both, both the and, Florida guys were? I yeah, think, right? I thought Tyree and, and uh, Van were both there. Um, either way, I watched Tyree Cleveland on tape. Uh, wasn't really moved by any part of his game. I think he's a solid roster filler type. I really think he's probably practice squad, especially on a receiving core this talented. Did you have any other thoughts that, that turned you around on that? He's not going to see the field. <laughs> okay, moving on. I mean, so, uh, yeah, yeah. not that not again, that is not an indictment on him. Like, no, it's that they are he's loaded fine. there now. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. On most teams, fine, he'd be right? a wide receiver four. On this one, he's a wide receiver six. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about him. Is like He's talented enough to play wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, on this team, it's just going to be a while until he gets to do that. Uh, so could be proved wrong, but that's how we feel about Cleveland going in. Tuska is a guy I really like. He was my, you know this, he was my late round filler in, in mock drafts, right? I, after I watched his tape, I thought, boy, there's some... There's some real pop and drive to him. He's a high effort rusher with a couple of good moves, real good power, um, falls into a perfect spot with Fangio at the helm. And then he's got Miller and Chubb to sit behind and learn. And then let's just talk about this. Uh, you know, we talk about the defense being the limited side of the ball and, and, you know, they're only limited because the offense is amazing right now. But if you're talking about Fangio creating pressure, which he likes to do without blitzing, you've got Miller, Chubb, Shelby Harris, Demarcus Walker, Jeremiah Adaochu, Justin Hollins, who's a guy I threw in there just because I like him. They have him listed at linebacker, but um, real rangy player out of Oregon who I liked. Draymond Jones from Ohio State. Tuzka, that's a lot of firepower to throw kind of in some arrangement off the ends, off the edges uh, in, in various formations. Look, Fangio's famous for that. He's going to come at you in base, but he's going to move the base around. Uh, he's got a lot of toys to play with, and Tuska is just one more. I think Tuska's going to make some noise. I could see him making the team, even on a talented defense. I do think he's a guy, if he does fall onto the practice squad, somebody might grab him because of just positional priority. Edge rushers with any kind of upside are hard to find. You don't want to leave those guys unprotected. God, what a ridiculous class. <laughs> yeah, no, hats off. I've I've said some rough oh. things about Elway over the years when he's done dumb stuff, but uh this this was not part of that effort. He has learned from his mistakes. Hats off to the to the Denver Brain Trust. Uh they grabbed a lot of really good players. And somebody else that grabs really good players all the time is Mike Mayock. Our good friend Mike Mayock and John Gruden, the brain trust in Vegas. They took a lot of heat when they started off, especially Gruden. Um, some personnel decisions that were uh, not well received. Uh, but all Mike Mayock's done since he hit Las Vegas is draft football players and i know that's a cliche but that's a thing with mike mayock and it's not with all general managers there's some folks that will take on projects that are you know not great football players mayock wants guys that can play football and guess what he got a whole 
bag full of guys that can play football. Um, they traded up towards the end. They didn't have any picks after number 139, so that was round four. They kind of they ruled the third round. They had two first-round picks, Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, the wide receiver. Followed that up with Damon Arnett, the corner out of Ohio State. Uh, next pick was round three uh, because they'd given up the two to the Bears in the Khalil Mack trade. They went with back-to-back wide receiver picks at 80 and 81, Lynn Bowden Jr. out of Kentucky and Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. They had one more third-round pick. They added Tanner Muse, the safety from Clemson. And then they had two fourth-round picks, John Simpson, the guard again from Clemson, and the last was Amik Robertson, the corner from Louisiana Tech. And then they were done after 139. They shut it down for the weekend and said, man, we got a bunch of players, and boy, did they. Um, Let's talk about the Raiders passing attack, because the Raiders passing attack is, uh, the adjective I use is weird. Um, (laughs) Who is the leading pass receiver on the team for the Raiders? The leading receiver from last year? Yeah, not the leading wide receiver, but the leading pass catcher on the team from last year. Who was it? Uh, probably Darren Waller, I would it imagine. It was, by a large margin. <laughs> and yeah. who was the second, and how many catches did he have? Uh, Tyrell Williams? Nope. Hunter Renfro? Yep. And he probably had, what, 60, 65? Somewhere around there? 49 really that was it yeah raiders passing attack is weird waller is way up there uh as a tight end uh hunter renfro the slot receiver um had 49 catches i think might have been 46 so obviously the raiders are in need of an alpha wide receiver and they think they found that in rugs like rugs is much more than a speedster although his wheels are incredible he's one of the fastest wide receivers in this draft and there were many it's a great wide receiver class he's a good technician too and um College receivers with limited production scare me, but if anyone ever had a case for why they didn't get more catches, an Alabama wide receiver from last year has the leading case. They have four guys that would have gone to the NFL in the first round if they were all eligible in the same year. So the lack of production from Ruggs doesn't bother me as much. He is incredibly fast. He is slightly built. Um, and he does have that little production tick that worries me a little bit, but Mayock and Gruden love this guy and really think that they've added a primary piece, not a complimentary piece, but a primary piece to their passing game. Um, and I would imagine if I was Derek Carr, I'd be pretty excited. Honestly, the two best receivers on the team, I don't say this lightly because I'm a fan of Tyrell Williams and I'm a fan of Hunter Renfro. Uh, the two best receivers on the team right now are rookies in Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Uh, I, I truly believe that. You know, Ruggs is a true number one, even though, like you said, he's extremely fast, legit 4-2 speed. I mean, he's got Deshaun Jackson-type wheels. A really, really good route runner. You see him against Christian Fulton in the LSU game, uh, win on a dig, you know, with a double release and he's leveraging well like he he runs really 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 good routes he's got uh good enough hands um you know we're not talking like deandre hopkins or odell beckham jr ball skills but still pretty good ball skills like he catches most of his targets yeah he doesn't he doesn't catch ugly that's for sure yeah so i think he's a true number one 
in an offense that desperately needed one because they weren't quite getting that from Tyrell Williams, who I think is really more of like a high, high, high end number two. Um, and then Renfro is really more natural in the slot. But Brian Edwards, I think, can be an even better number two than Williams because he's more physical. He's a great route runner, really good at the catch point, um, good after the catch, uh, not overly fast in terms of stretching defenses deep, but that's what you have rugs for. And Williams, I think, also has a lot of gas to him too. So I, I think Edwards as a true number two, like a possession receiver type, ultra physical warrior type guy over the middle. He's better in that role than Williams, where I think Williams is a little bit better in terms of just being a vertical threat outside. Um, but then you throw that in with with Hunter Renfro. Uh, you throw that in with Nelson Aglor, who I guess is their fifth wide receiver now. Um, and then uh, Lynn Bowden, who is the other, other, other receiver that they drafted, who's... Uh, who who is he? Is he slash? I mean, he's a running back. He's a quarterback. He's a receiver. Yeah. He's a whatever you want him to be. Uh, you know, they're they're six deep now. Like Zay Jones, I think is supposed to be their six wide receiver. But looking at who they drafted, I don't think he even makes the team at this point. Like yeah, this I is mean, a really really good receiving core. They remade their receiving core within the first four picks. I mean, the first pick was Rugs. Then they went with a corner, and then they picked up Bowden Jr. and Edwards in back-to-back picks. That takes a wide receiver core that whose second leading wide receiver, uh, well, first leading wide receiver last year had under 50 catches um, and makes it much more formidable. Again, if I'm Derek Carr, I'm, I'm excited about what I've got to throw to. Um, in addition to some of the players that remain on the roster, like Waller, who is uh, kind of one of the more underrated tight ends in the league. But you talked about Brian Edwards. Um, uh, you know, I think Bowden and he are going to be linked forever in the fact that they went back-to-back picks. Bowden is the first player that comes to my mind when I think of active NFL players who have a chance to score a TD in five ways. Pass one, catch one, run one, punt return, and kick return. He can literally do it all. He did it all at Kentucky. Um, he played a little bit of running back. He played a lot more wide receiver, moved to quarterback when they had an opening there. Um, Kentucky is sort of a run first option offense. Doesn't throw all that often, but he did throw well enough. Um, better than a lot of quote unquote running quarterbacks. He is just a ton of fun to watch. He's a great open field mover. Excellent. Make you miss ability enough speed toughness and tenacity to get to the goal line he's one of those guys that will just twist and drive even though he's not the biggest guy um certainly doesn't have tree trunks for legs but he will score if he's close to the goal line and that's going to be super fun to watch no matter how they deploy him whether it's in the slot whether they motion him into the backfield whether they do wildcat stuff and have him throw because he is a decent passer um He's just a really interesting sort of wild card, whereas Brian Edwards is, I think you're right, a solid number two. I just have the phrase, Brian Edwards is underrated. Such a strong physical receiver. Absolutely took over certain games at South Carolina. Guy who is productively consistent. I talked about my production worries with rugs. Don't have those with Edwards. Consistently finds a way for yards and catches. And then he had those games where they just piled up, where he did it in bunches. Not only was consistent, but had those explosion games where he would just take over. Willing to go anywhere on the field, inside, outside slot, compete with any defender, doesn't back down. When you combine that with Bowden, Ruggs, Williams, Waller, um, even Josh Jacobs was a factor in the passing game, right? 
um, Las Vegas has really overhauled the number of players and the type of players, the variety of players they have to catch the ball. And that's just going to make them more dangerous. They really needed it, and they did it. I think John Gruden was inspired for the Lynn Bowden pick by one of his former pupils. People may not realize this, but uh, John Gruden gave Sean Payton his first job in the NFL in the late 90s. He was the Mm. offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Uh, He brought in Sean Payton to be a quarterback's coach there. Uh, And they're both still very good friends. John watches everything that Payton does down in New Orleans and and tries to kind of see what he's doing. And, you know, they're they're both West Coast coaches. Um, Sean's version of a West Coast is is a little bit different, or a lot of it different, I should say. Um, But Gruden still studies him intensely. And the thing that you see pop up over and over again in every single Saints game is, what are we doing with Taysom Hill? And I think Gruden saw that, and he saw a player like Bowden who can fill that role and more when you consider his special team's value. And I think he saw that and was like, I'm going to get myself a version of Taysom Hill that could be even better than Taysom Hill, and that's Lynn Bowden. And I think we're going to see him a lot more than people think in a lot more unorthodox ways than people think because Gruden sees a lot of teams have um, pieces like that, unique pieces that prevent uh, that present matchup opportunities. Uh, in key situations in games where maybe they only play 10 snaps, but all of them are very important. Uh, I think Lynn Bowden's going to be that kind of guy for the Raiders, at least early on, where, again, he's not playing a whole lot of snaps, but when he's on the field, he's going to get the ball. Yeah, you're going to see him get some touches, and even if it's only two or three touches a game, they're going to be fun. Um, Bowden is a guy that, again, when he gets the ball in his hand, he can produce. I don't want to skip over Damon Arnett, though, because I am a Damon Arnett stan. I love Damon Arnett. I think he's going to be a very, very good NFL boundary corner in the NFL very quickly. Um, Has very few holes in his game, and that's because he headed back to OSU last year. He had the chance to go to the NFL the year before. It was a great decision for him. We always talk about it when it doesn't work out for a player, when you know the skills or the systems change or the coaching changes or they get hurt. All the things that sort of negatively impact their value, we don't that often say, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I wish this guy had gone back when somebody comes out in the draft. But when somebody does, I don't think we kind of usually give them sort of proper attention for that. And Arnett is the absolute prototypical case for going back. He knew that he had some holes in his game. He went back. He worked on all of them. Watching him turn, run, get his head around, and play the ball, play through the catch point on outside sideline routes is gorgeous. He is one of the best guys in this draft at that particular technique. He can struggle with the slant a little bit, but with good coaching, he'll get that fixed sooner rather than later. And he's shown the ability. It's just the consistency to get on it sooner um, and then not bite. He was really, really slow to bite because he didn't want to get burned to the outside. And a good coach is going to help him get over that. So early in the game, he doesn't get set up with the slant. But Damon Arnett, great size, obviously great pedigree coming from OSU, very clean, pure technique on turn and run to the outside. I I just love Arnett. And so right now they're slated starting corners are Prince of Mukamara, who we talk about a lot apparently on the show, <laughs> and then Trayvon <laughs> Mullen, who they took last year, who was actually, I was really high on Mullen, Mullen when he was coming out. Um Arnett does the same thing that Prince does. Uh, but at this point in Prince's career, I think Arnett does it better. Like he's got a little bit more gas. 
Um, you know, Prince, he's got a lot more experience, but in terms of just physical ability, Damon Arnett does the exact same stuff that Amukamar does, but better. So I would actually imagine that pretty early on in the season, he's going to get that starting job outside just because he's such a brilliant outside corner. Um, and then maybe you have Amukamara also be outside and then have Mullen be inside. Mullen can kind of do either one, in my opinion. Uh, but you also got Amik Roberts in there, uh, who I think is a, one of the better nickels in this class. You got LaMarcus Joyner there who can play inside too. So I'm not really sure what they intend to do with Prince, but I do think sooner rather than later, Arnett is going to take his job because in terms of just out-muscling a receiver, forcing him into the boundary contesting every inch of the route with physicality and technique again Damon Arnett's that dude yeah and at this point the the limitation with Prince is really deep like the last clearly the last third of last season as a Bears fan I was like get him off the field he can't run anymore whether it was hurt I think he he had to have been injured because he just couldn't run deep and Damon yeah. Arnett is beautiful running deep and look if you're going to be playing KC in Denver twice a year you're going to be running deep a lot as an outside <laughs> corner and Amukamara can't do it at this point now maybe he's healthy maybe he comes back but he never had great deep speed and Arnett is as fluid as anybody deep down the sideline and for that alone in this division I think he gets the nods uh, like you said sooner rather than later Um, we already talked about Bowden and Edwards Tanner Muse Tanner Muse is a guy that I had seen a lot because like you I probably watched a lot of Clemson tape enough that I would Mm -hmm. start mouthing over the lines of the announcers <laughs> um yeah that's an odd thing that we do but anyways i hadn't concentrated a lot on tanner muse because look there was a lot of talent on the clemson defensive side of the ball and i had watched all them um but i watched tanner muse uh, go through the drills at the combine and this is one of the values of the combine i thought man that guy's a really big uh he's 6'2 230 he's got really good straight line speed he's not a great turner but he does break pretty well on the ball and that's linebacker size right that's and i was like okay i gotta go back to tape and see if i miss this guy hitting right how does he come with impact how are his angles um so i went back and watched clemson tape again uh to look at tanner muse and i came to the same conclusion this is a guy that i would start at a will linebacker um you know, I think he's an ideal will slash dimebacker. You can call him what you want. Heavy, heavy dime. Uh, very good movement skills. Better straight line than outright agility. He's a bit stiff for a true safety, but for a linebacker, he's actually pretty darn, pretty darn agile. Um, he's got enough size and hitting ability to play comfortably at the second level. Not all safeties do when you move them forward like that. Um, I'd feed him a bunch of Cam Chancellor tape and say, as much as you can, be like this. Oh, yes. Let me just be like a Hall of Fame safety. <laughs> I, again, you're <laughs> not going to get it uh, all, you. Tanner. You're not going to get it all, Tanner. But you see how this guy did it? Do as much of that as you can because he's similarly sized. Uh, his physical profile is not far off. Cam, obviously a much better player, as you pointed out. Hall of Famer. I'm not saying that Tanner Muse is going to morph into Cam Chancellor anytime soon, if ever, but that's a player I would say, look at what this guy did 
in the role that he played in the Seattle defense underneath. Uh, again, largely at the second level. That's where Cam really thrived in the Seattle defense in the Legion of Boom. And uh, Muse could be a guy like that that they could rotate through the middle a little bit deeper on certain plays and to the outside on that sort of weak side or will outside role. And I I thought, man, here's, here's a guy you're going to get. And they went and got him in the end of the third round. So they apparently thought the same thing. I, I was talking to a, a former player one time, just kind of talking about the whole like, oh, yeah, let me just go be Cam Chancellor. Um, and they were talking about the pressure that some coaches put on them. You know, they'll throw on Jerry Rice tape. <laughs> and, the, and they'll say, okay, well, here's how you run this route, and here's how you do this. And the guy's like, you do realize that's Jerry frickin' Rice. Right? The best like, receiver I ever. I can't just yeah. go do that. Like, I'm, I'm not that guy. Like, There's a couple things that go into it, coach, and I only have one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. But I, I, ironically enough, Tanner Muse, going back to him, he is listed at Will Linebacker on the depth chart. So they yep. listened, and and that is the role he's going to play. And honestly, he's a lot more physically talented than Nicholas Moreau. So sooner rather than later, he's going to get on the field for sure. I don't know how much base they're going to play because I would assume sure. that Nick Quick, uh, Nick Wachowski and Corey Littleton are going to be uh, out there for the vast majority of snaps. But if they're ever against like 12 personnel or 21 personnel, like sooner rather than later, he's going to be on the field as their will backer just because of how damn fast he is um, and just how honestly physically gifted he is. Yeah, uh, Littleton's I, a great guy for him to learn under in terms of pass coverage because Littleton is, uh, that's one of the real strengths of Littleton's game. One of the reasons that both you and I like him so much is he is wildly effective as a linebacker against the pass and if muse you know needs a a a sort of more earthly target to go after than cam chancellor littleton is a very (laughs) great guy to sit behind in drills and say uh oh that's cool i should try and do a little bit more of that i don't even know if he can reach that level because i think you know littleton is is a very he's very very good at what he does so if muse gets anywhere close it's a great value for the raiders yeah especially in the third round um, their last two picks, pair of fourth rounders, John Simpson and Amik Robertson. I'll kind of fire through these quickly. Uh, Simpson, he's really—I don't—I'm not sure about him as a starting guard immediately, but as a swing guard, I think there's some tools there. In particular, he's really strong. Uh, he's another one of those guys, uh, like I, when I talked about with uh, Niang earlier, where when his hands on you, you're done. Uh, it's the actual getting hands on part that he can struggle with sometimes, but he's really, really strong. And when his placement is good, his punch is good, uh, his timing is good, his feet are under him. Again, that natural ability shows up and he's very good at controlling defensive linemen. I think learning under Gabe Jackson is going to be good for him. And then to Robertson, again, one of the better nickels in this class up there with Darnay Holmes, um, up there with, uh, God, who's the kid I'm forgetting. Oh man. Well, I, I can't remember his name. He went early first round, uh, who I felt was who could have played phenomenally well inside. Uh, Henderson, uh, the Florida kid, could have played really well inside with his feet and explosiveness. Amik Robertson, I think, also. Again, ultra explosive, really quick, natural fit inside. Henderson can play any of them, but Robertson's really uh, more at home inside. Um, but also very, very physical for his size. Uh, you know, we bring up the oh, Colin Johnson yeah. game a lot. You know, Colin's yeah. got, what, seven inches on him, and Amik was just beating the hell out of him physically. Um, yeah, so I love his mentality. Fear, he doesn't fear anybody. He will give any wide receiver 
anywhere testing him all they can handle. And they better pack a lunch because Robertson is going to come as hard as anybody in this class. If you don't know Amik Robertson, go look him up. Remember his name. He is small, which is why he fell. He's 5'8", but again, absolutely fearless. Tough player not to love once you start watching tape on him. Brings a real edge to the Las Vegas secondary that they could use. They need somebody with that kind of attitude and, um, you know, Prince Amukamara, a guy we keep talking about, will love the fight that Robertson has. Because, again, Amukamara, being from Nebraska, physical dude, loves to press. He's going to take one look at Amik Robertson in the first drill and go, okay, way to go, Rook. <laughs> nice. I like it. Right? Amik's going to fit right in because he – and Mayock loves guys that compete, and that is – that is just Amik Robertson to a T. He does not know he's 5'8", and he does not play like he's 5'8". He will hammer folks. Overall, this class, it just it it feels like a Raiders class. You know, it fits that identity of, you know, they have some athletes in there. You know, Tanner Muse, great athlete. Henry Ruggs, obviously great athlete. Damon Arnett, underrated athlete. He's faster than he timed on at the Combine, way faster than he timed. Um, but all of them are tough. All of them have incredible work ethics. Um, you know, they, they are great communicators out on the field. They're technicians. Like, they're just they're football players. They're 100% yeah. football players. There, there yeah, is no finesse in this class. Yeah, that's that's Mayock top to bottom, right? You said Raiders class, and the new Raiders class is, I want guys that play football. I want guys that fit our system. I want guys that are going to compete every day, and that's what he got, um, you know, and got out in the fourth round, and we're like, see ya, mic drop, we're done. We got what we needed. We got what we came for. And um, Mayock just keeps stacking class after class. Uh, there were a lot of people who doubted him when he came in um, based on his background. He has he has not missed a beat, in my opinion. He is, uh, he is doing the job that they need him to do. So moving on to Los Angeles. I'm going to say Los Angeles like three times so I don't say San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Telesco, GM there, Anthony Lynn, the head coach. And they came out with, um, again, I'm just going to say an interesting class. And I'm going to let you take the floor for a minute on their first pick because we had fun with this on the draft live stream. Um, you've done a bunch of work on top quarterbacks. And round one, pick six, QB from Oregon, Justin Herbert. Take it away, Brett. I want to hear what you think of Justin Herbert at pick six for the Chargers. Would it have been so hard for them to just take Isaiah Simmons and get Jalen Hurts the next round? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> Apparently it is. Is that too much to ask? Like, what the hell are you doing? What? Like, I get it. You're desperate for a quarterback. Well, I, I honestly, I don't even think you're desperate. I think Taylor is a fine starter. Cam's out there. You can sign Cam. You got options. Friggin' Kaepernick's out there. Go sign Colin Kaepernick. Kick the tires on him. See what you got. Don't spend the sixth overall pick on a quarterback who never got better in four years of starting behind the best offensive line in all of college football with a tremendous defense backing him up too. You never saw any improvement. He was making the same mistakes as a senior that he was making as a freshman to the point where in the Arizona State game, he threw an awful, and I mean truly awful pick when they were running smash snag. And you don't, 
when you're running Smash Snag, it's a cover two beater. It was against cover two. Like, literally, this play is designed to beat the coverage it, it was against. And he still threw a pick. Because rather than just reading the corner in the flat, normally what you do is you read the corner in the flat. If he sinks, you throw it to the flat. If he char- if he comes up to the flat, you throw the corner route. You beat the safety to the spot. Like, it's not hard. Playing Madden, you do that every game. The dude threw the snag route inside to a linebacker that was literally sitting on it. That's not even the read you're supposed to make. How do you misread Smash against a coverage that Smash is supposed to beat nine times out of ten? I don't get it. And he's a freaking senior. And he's doing that. I I don't understand this pick. Like, I get it. He's talented. Cannon for an arm. Super athletic. You want to run option with him. You know, you, you can do all the stuff with him athletically that, like, Baltimore does with Lamar. The thing is, Lamar's a better passer. And Lamar shows a lot more growth and development. Like, Lamar gets better every single game. Not just every single season, but every single week you see development. Justin Herbert hasn't gotten better in four years. Why are you spending a top 10 pick on him? I, I, and I know it sounds like I'm being harsh, but this is a, this is a horrible mistake. It is. Like, it, this, is a, this is a mistake out of desperation when you're not desperate. This franchise is not desperate. You got a loaded roster. You can challenge for the division this year. Like, you're fine. You have a starting quarterback in in Taylor. You don't need one immediately. And so you don't need to spend a sixth overall pick on a guy who's not ready. And honestly, he's not even as ready as as two of the guys that went after him. In in obviously Hurts, who went in the second round of the Eagles, who's better, and uh, to the kid that Green Bay picked up. Like, he's he's not even as good as uh, Jordan Love either. So your roster's fine. You know what you need? You need Isaiah Simmons. Or trade <laughs> down and get a bunch of picks. Like, go for the Super Bowl this year. Like, put your nuts on the table. What are you guys doing? I, I just, I hate this pick for so many reasons. Not just because from an organizational standpoint, I feel like they're wasting a window that they have this season with Taylor as starter, but because even if you are going to take a quarterback to develop behind Taylor, so you have a plan after this window is open this season when your roster's super loaded and you have a great coach, you pick the wrong one. It's so many reasons for me to be, to be upset by this pick, but I feel like it's a waste. It's a, it's a massive, massive waste. Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I can't disagree with a lot of that. Um, I do think Herbert got a little bit better, but he was still, to your point, uh, he didn't, he doesn't get as better as quickly as you'd like to see from the most important position on the field. Uh, you brought up Lamar and there are other examples of quarterbacks who improve very rapidly. Russell Wilson was a guy like that when he hit the field for the Seahawks between game one and game six, you could look and say, holy cow, he was not good at this at the beginning of the season. And now he's half decent at it. And by game 12, oh, he's starting to win in overtime with the very same things he wasn't great at in game one. That's what you want to see in terms of development. And and Herbert's definitely not on that track. Now, Herbert is, uh, I'll list the pluses since you went through most of the minuses. Uh, he's a tall guy. He's got a very nice throwing motion. Throws a beautiful ball in practice. We got to see some of that. Um, And occasionally uncorks that in a game, makes the right read, and it's 70 yards. And, you know, not on a line, but close. He's got a very good arm. Um, More athletic than you might think um, uh, from a taller guy who has a bit of a slender build. But when he takes off, he can cover good ground. So he's going to have to do that as a learning quarterback, certainly in this division with plenty of pass rushers coming after him. 
Uh, you know, is he going to be ready? And I mean, really ready this year. Is he a guy that's going to step in and lead the the weapons they have on offense, which are now quite a few, um, to you know the to their maximized record, right? To their best possible potential. I wouldn't put very good money on that. You know, does he develop down the road? That depends a lot on you know who the coach is um, and how they stay. But again, at pick six. Um, it's rough. It does feel like they felt they needed somebody and he was there and he was the biggest name, not necessarily the best quarterback, but the biggest name available and they took him. Um, so I don't dislike Herbert, uh, necessarily in the way you do. Um, do I think he is going to leap to, I would say even average, like mid pack proficiency, uh, within the next year or two? Um, no, I, I think he might be mid-pack, but again, that's not going to be good enough to get Los Angeles, this Los Angeles, over the hump. So uh, it does feel like a pick you don't get very often, you know, the sixth overall pick. And um, I do think they had options that were potentially uh, better or more beneficial from a draft capital standpoint. So there we are. There's our, there's our you're, take you're on You're so Justin much more Herbert. diplomatic than me. Uh, on this one, I am, and I, you know, I was on the draft live stream too, uh, because look, I've been, I've been wrong plenty, right? I've said guys were going to succeed or I thought they were going to succeed very strongly. And sure enough, whatever happens, happens. Uh, we don't get to see it all. They don't. And vice versa. There were guys I was very low on that said, oh, this is a wasted pick, you know? Um, and I've learned <laughs> in my time doing this that, you know, there's always potential for you to be very, very wrong. And by you, I mean all of us, um, because it's just not an exact science. If it was, the draft would be a very different animal and it would be a lot less fun to watch. Uh, but uh, I like Tyrod Taylor. In fact, I like him right now better than I like Justin Herbert. So I'm with you. If you roll with Tyrod Taylor and either get a quarterback you can develop for next year um, later on or just wait, Um I'd be okay with that because I don't, again, I don't think they're desperate, right? Define desperate. That means don't have a quarterback that can play at a winning level right now. And I don't think that's true for the Chargers. I think they do have a quarterback in the building who can play at a winning level right now. So uh, a bit confounding from a draft standpoint and a team building standpoint. Um, The second pick in round one, that's the other thing about this. They had two round one picks. And they took Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. So you took you took Herbert. I'm going to take Murray. Um, Murray is a physical marvel at linebacker that needs a targeting system upgrade. Um, <laughs> his splash plays are amazing, but so are his gaffes. Um, there was a very, not very popular because a lot of people really wanted to like kenneth murray i wanted to like kenneth murray when i started watching his tape because his highlight tape and this is the difference between highlight tape and game tape his highlight tapes are amazing like jaw dropping just insane splashy flashy oh my god did you see what he did type things um you start watching game tape and those plays are not as often as you might like from a player of his talent uh and b they're mixed in with some what the hell is he doing tape um, and there was a, a, a gif going around um, before the draft of Kenneth Murray taking off on the blitz and running square into the ass end of his zero tech. I mean, <laughs> I think it was Gallimore that he ran into <laughs> full speed, just bang, nails the back of his defensive tackle. And they're just you're like, 
what what just happened there like i mean whether or not he was supposed to be there it doesn't matter there's a 300 pound guy with your uniform on in front of you i guarantee your play is not to just jack him in the backside so um there again he needs to get the chargers coaching staff needs to help him get his instincts tuned up to align his reads more consistently if they do that and i'll say this really clearly he will be a pro bowler period uh, if not, he'll make those splash plays with athleticism and range, which he has gobs of both, uh, when he guesses right, or he can just see ball hit ball. But if he doesn't do the other thing, he is never going to sniff the rarefied air of elite processors who think, see things clearly pre-snap. I'm talking about the Luke Keekleys of the world. Uh, we talked about Taron Matthew, um, we even talked about a guy like Justin Strenad, right? That uses his mental abilities to make his physical abilities really snap and uh murray's not going to get to that level uh of those guys that can put themselves in just the right spot time after time because they know what's coming now i want to see murray do that let's be very clear because i hope he continues to progress because when it all lines up it is jaw-dropping like he is a wildly talented football player In addition, we should mention that Murray is a very high character player off the field, so much so that it was one, he was one of the first guys that always came up in that conversation in this draft. I would say top three, like Kenneth Murray was a no brainer for, you know, guys you want on your team off the field. Um, So I think it's an easy pick uh, as a first rounder. There's a lot that goes into it for a team being a face of a franchise type thing. And I really hope that their linebacking coaches can get Kenneth Murray to the place where he can align all those physical gifts uh, correctly more often. Because if he does that, he's going to be a danger to opposing offenses for a long time. Um, I just hope he can get there because a lot of people wanted to say he was there right now. But guys like Logan Wilson are clearly better than guys like Kenneth Murray right now at the mental side of linebacking. You put Logan Wilson's head in Kenneth Murray's body. Uh, that's Navarro Bowman. Like, yeah, that, that's, I, that's the talent we're talking about. To here. be clear, Logan Wilson's <laughs> body is just fine. He's a, he's a physical specimen. Oh, yeah, he's and he ran too. very well, but Murray is a blazer at linebacker. And yeah, you put anybody like, you know, you want to go to the bargain bin? Take Justin Stranod's head and put it on Kenneth Murray's body. Oh boy. Yeah. Right? You've still got a captain, but now you've got a guy that's seeing it and getting there and being ahead of it. Um, that would be, you know, that would be something. And the best case for a guy like Murray is, uh, you know, Edmonds out of Buffalo, right? Edmonds out of yeah. Buffalo was exactly the same way coming out. He was young wildly physically talented and when he guessed correctly he could blow the world up but he only guessed correctly about you know one out of five plays he has absolutely progressed in his couple of years in buffalo and is taking the jump making the jump you want to see mentally he's making more of the right reads and now he just looks like a freaking force and i hope murray does the same thing he needs to um, and if the Chargers coaching staff need a how-to on how to do that, I would I would go to the Buffalo coaching staff and, and steal as many of their notes as you can because very, very similar situations. Yeah, Edmonds is uh, – it was our comp pre-draft for him. Slightly different physical skill set. You know, Murray's not quite as big and as long, but in mm-hmm. terms of, like, speed and everything like that. But really the comp was if he hits, he's in the ring of honor. And so we're we're hoping for that. 
Yeah, because I I'm I'm a football fan and I want to see good football players play good football. Uh, and if Kenneth Murray plays to his potential, Ring of Honor, like flat out. That's that's what we're talking about here. So I hope he does. Um, I, and again, I think he'll at least be fine. But we want more than fine out of a first round pick. And if there's even a remote chance that he can be that he can hit that ceiling, it's worth it. So I. I 100% agree with everything you said. Um, weirdly enough, they didn't have another pick for almost 90 picks mm-hmm. after Kenneth Murray. It was the fourth round. And that's when they got Josh Kelly, the running back out of UCLA, who we also saw at the Senior Bowl. Um, also, high character guy. He was another one of those guys, you know, first three to five names that comes up when you're talking about who's the best guy you want in your locker room in this class. Josh Kelly was one of the first ones mentioned by a lot of people. Phenomenal character, great work ethic, uh, but also just a, a better back than he gets credit for. Uh, not super great long speed, but in terms of his ability to just put one foot in the ground and cut, I think he's very underrated. Uh, he and Eno Benjamin were kind of like my day three darlings. Kelly went way in front of Benjamin, even though I had Benjamin slightly graded higher. But I, I don't yeah. hate Kelly in the fourth at all. I think he's a perfect complement. Um to uh, Austin Eckler, and I, I really like that duo for them. Yeah, and the Chargers throw a ton to their backs. Austin Eckler had, I think he might have led um, all backs in receptions last year. If I he think didn't, he did, yeah. If he didn't, he was close. Um, and the thing that stands out about Josh Kelly to me on tape, uh, the things you said are very true, but he's also a very natural and athletic receiver and catches just about everything, has ridiculously good hands for a running back. I think I came away from his tape with the note that I think he could play wide receiver straight up. Like, I think you could line that guy up in the slot um, and absolutely have him succeed in the NFL. He's that good as a straight-up wide receiver. He's got good skills in pass protection, sells out in pass protection, which quarterbacks will love. I think he's got a very good chance to be a really productive number two back. He doesn't quite quite have the burst or breakaway ability you want in a number one, but he's consistent. He runs hard through contact. He can pass protect. He can catch, and like you said, in the short area, he can get pretty twisty. He can he can make that one cut. Uh, he's a little bit slippery in between the tackles. He's patient. Um, he's got good but not great skills, and that's a great pick to get in the fourth round. Yeah, especially just after losing Melvin Gordon, just replenishing some depth in the backfield, taking away some carries from Eckler so he doesn't get completely worn down because he's one of the most effective weapons on that offense, and that's saying a lot because they got plenty of them, but Eckler is is really kind of their, their third down machine, so taking as much early down work off of him as you can to kind of preserve his body for those key third downs, Josh Kelly's that kind of guy. So again, very, very prudent pick for them. Uh, Joe Reed out of West Virginia, their fifth-round pick, another wide receiver. Uh, I personally did not watch him, but when you look at their wide receiver depth chart, uh, both him and K.J. Hill, who are their two day three picks at wide receiver, they're going to play because they got nobody else after Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Yeah, it is Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and we were talking about this pre-show. I don't know of another wide receiver depth chart in the modern NFL that is literally two wide receivers deep and then drops off. The Chargers have other players that they throw passes to. We talked about Eckler. Obviously, they're tight ends they really like, but literally you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and then 
nobody. So guys like Joe Reed, who was their pick in round five, and KJ Hill, who was their pick in round seven. Reed, I really like. He was one of my sleepers in this draft on offense. A little bit of a cross between Lynn Bowden and the, the Lynn Bowden piece is really the sort of versatility and the shiftiness, um, the ability to do a little bit of everything. And then a guy like Devin Duvernay. And I'm not saying he is as athletic as Duvernay because Duvernay is clearly faster. But the one thing I really like about Duvernay is he's a gamer. He's got that gamer to him, right? He's not that great in practice, but the lights come on and bam, he's productive. And and when you turn on the Virginia tape over and over again, that's Joe Reed just making plays in big spots, moving the chains, getting it done. And he could absolutely take over a sort of glue role uh, for the Chargers um, and work his way into some pretty good production because, look, L.A. needs that third wide receiver badly. The third wide receiver uh, last year was, you know, longtime legendary bear Dontrell Inman. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not with the team anymore. So the the best remaining wide receiver at the wide receiver three spot for the Chargers is Andre Patton with six catches and 56 yards last year. That is not the kind of depth that is difficult to overcome. So we'll just lump Reed and K.J. Hill together. K.J. Hill, a smaller wide receiver. We got to see him at the Senior Bowl as well. He is a route-running fiend. Um, he is not hugely gifted as an athlete um, not very big that is he is quick he's a very good route runner he has very solid hands like reed he is just a guy that makes plays especially in the slot i think he has a chance to actually be the starting slot for the chargers which is crazy out of his seventh round pick um, but again they really don't have anything to overcome in that spot um, and Hill had some real fans in the route running community. And he's going to, again, you talk about guys on the roster, he's going to love being around. Keenan Allen is devastating as a route runner. Probably the best route runner in the NFL wins that way more than almost anybody else. And for a guy like KJ Hill, who that's his craft, he's he just died and went to heaven. He's going to come in and sit behind Keenan Allen and reps and go, oh, that's how you do that. Um, so if he picks up the offense quickly, which is a question mark in, in the you know current COVID world, um, either one of those guys, but especially KJ Hill in the sort of straight up slot route, I think has a, has a really good chance. And the last guy we need to talk about is Aloe Gilman, the safety from Notre Dame. What'd you like about Gilman? I know he was on your, uh, your high list. I loved Gilman. I, I, I love him. And again, he was another one of my, um, kind of day three guys when I was doing mock drafts where he would end up on my team almost every time, you know, because if I'm looking for a hard-nosed box safety that's going to play the run really well, you know, if I need a force player, he's not going to miss tackles outside. He's going to shove his face into a guard and, you know, if he's reading power to his side, he's going to plug it up and sell out his body against a guy who's got 60 pounds on him or really more than 60 pounds, 100, <laughs> 160 say, pounds. Aloe Gilman is not giving up 60 pounds to a guard. Yeah, he's just not 240. So you know. but, yeah. <laughs> just so um, you know. But, you know, you wouldn't know it based on film because, I mean, he's no, a you missile wouldn't. down there. He's yeah, a he's, missile. Yeah, he's very hard-nosed, well-rounded, smart, makes a ton of plays being in the right place. And the thing I love about his game is working hard to finish right? He yes. is not the most physically gifted guy, but you see him and he works to finish plays. Um, and that to me is a just guaranteed special teamer to start. That's the kind of guy you want 
Um, high character, smart, works hard. That's a special teamer. Um, and he, look, he's going to sit behind Derwin James, Desmond King, Rayshon Jenkins, and Nasir Adderley and, you know, work on his craft. And I wouldn't put it past him to get, you know, starting reps as a third safety down the line um, when one of those guys moves on or if there's an injury or whatever else. And, you know, uh, a guy I really would like to have on my team just as, again, a cheap cost-controlled labor that can do some things, especially on special teams. That's a Loey Gilman. So, you know, you can say what you want about the top of the class. We did. Uh, you said a lot about Herbert. I talked about Murray and the sort of risk reward there. Um, we both like Josh Kelly. Uh, Reed and KJ Hill round out what was a very thin wide receiving unit. Um, and then Aloe Gilman comes in and, and can sort of fill in the cracks. So not that many picks overall. You're talking about, you know, five guys. Um, I'm sorry, six guys, but uh, they all sort of have a designated place on the roster. And uh, whether or not we agree with that place, we'll see how it plays out. But overall, as a division, super fun. Tons of talent, tons of guys we liked pre-draft ended up here. Um, we've got a couple of race car teams in Denver and, you know, even the Raiders now, but certainly Kansas City was that and just added more firepower. So um, overall, the outlook is tremendous for this division. We're going to see some good football, some crazy matchups, especially in the sort of wide receiver cornerback arena. And um, yeah, the quarterbacks are going to have to try and stay upright against some fun pass rushers, too. So lots of good football to come from the AFC West this year. I'll just close it up by saying this. Every time you see an AFC West game on the schedule, bet the over. Just <laughs> trust me. Just bet the over. You'll yeah. make a lot of money. Yeah, Vegas but, might be uh, wise to that because they have a team now. So, you know, they might be paying attention to this weird <laughs> thing called the NFL. But, uh, yeah, no, it's going to be it's gonna be a ton of fun. So thanks for sticking with us. We know this one's getting long. Um, we have one more to go, the NFC West. We will be wrapping that up next week. Until then, of course, you can always follow Brett on Twitter, uh, me as well. I'm at the Draftsman FB. And, of course, subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the Film Room on YouTube if you haven't already. Brett's channel there. And uh, we will see you guys very soon for the next and last one in this series. And then we'll have more fun stuff after that. So stay safe. uh, Enjoy the good weather as it starts out. And we'll talk to you soon. Later. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.